Well, hey, good morning. I'm Mark. I'm the kids ministry director here at Cornerstone and uh, excited to be here this morning. Pastor Andy asked me to come and bring the next chapter in our Genesis series. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter four this morning. Um, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be a good time. But uh, if I seem a little nervous, it's because you're a bit taller than the people I'm used to talking to. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I, I love working with the kids. I love being here. Well, uh, I have a question. Before we jump into the text, ha- have you ever been lost before? Have you ever felt lost in something before? Um, I have. I was four years old, and uh, I remember I had come downstairs. I don't know, moms, if this has ever happened to you before, but I decided in that moment that it was time for me to be the center of my mom's attention. That ever happened to you? And so I came downstairs, and I was like, this is it. Play with me now, right? And my mom, I know you've never said this, but, uh, but my mom said, I'm busy, Mark. Go and play, right? Go, go and play by yourself. And so I was like, I'm not. What? I have not spent four years on this earth to have to go play by myself. And so uh, <laughs> I decided I was ready for a life on the road. I went downstairs, I got my tricycle out, and uh, I started, I just started, I started pedaling away, right? I, I left the safety of my house, and I, I started going down for, for a life on the road, which lasted a grand total of four minutes, it was four minutes, uh, until everything changed. The houses looked different, right? The cars around me looked different. All of a sudden, I knew I was no longer in this, in this safe place. I, I was lost and I was terrified. Well, you can relax. I did get home. Uh, I, was, I was found later. I wasn't actually homeless. That's my entire life. Uh, but, uh, but I got back. But the feeling of being lost is real. It's scary, right? Have you ever felt lost before? Anybody ever had their GPS cut out on them in the middle of a road trip? It's terrifying, you guys. It's like Google Maps, you hold my life in the palm of your hands and you know it, right? It's scary. Anybody ever had a new job before and you've had so much new information that you just felt kind of lost in it? Anybody here ever, uh, anybody ever, ever been on a new campus? You ever been to a new high school or a new college campus and you had exactly two minutes to get from this spot on the campus all the way over across campus to this spot, right? It's easy to feel lost in those moments. Well, the Bible says this about, about this feeling of being lost. And in Luke 19.10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But now it makes me wonder, what's, what's been lost exactly, right? Is, 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 is everything lost? Are, are some things lost and some things not lost? And so you see, I think God has, a, has the most wanted list. And uh, I'm looking for what's on God's most wanted list. What's God looking for? I think we'll find some, I think we'll find something here in Genesis chapter four. Well, let's dig in here to the text. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can open it up there. We'll be starting off here at, uh, in verse one of Genesis chapter four. It says, now Edom knew, and now Adam, and now Eden, that's funny. Uh, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. We start off right here, right? Adam, Adam knew his wife. You know what that means, right? I know you know what it means to, to, to know, right? This is this, this, this most intimate, this intimate setting of, of, of knowing. In fact, coming together as a husband and wife is the most intimate form of, of knowing that there is, and it exists within the context, within the context of marriage. And this is what happens. But this is the first time it's ever happened. Like, imagine that. This is never, this has never happened before, you guys. This is the first family. That means that for Eve, the, nobody had ever told her what to expect in this moment. I, I just, to, to, to me, that's scary. There's, there was no birthing coaches of what to expect. 
There were no prenatal vitamins. You know, the archangel Michael was not there and saying, okay, Eve, when I tell you to, you're going to push. That would be weird, right? It didn't happen. It didn't exist. For Eve, this is all happening for the very first time, the first, the first childbirth ever. I, I think that's kind of important as we dig in, as we think about this chapter to know that they didn't know what, what happens here at the end. They're experiencing all of this for the first time. And so our text here continues in verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Right? Cain was very angry. Why was Cain very angry? Because the Lord didn't have regard for his offering. You know, a lot of people have asked themselves the question of, of why. why. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't the Lord have regard for Cain's offering, but he had regard for, for Abel's offering? Um, you know, one of the things that sometimes people have looked at is, is well, what's, what kind of offering was it exactly? The word that's used here is in the Hebrew is the word minna. And a minna just means a grain offering. Now, maybe it was the first fruits of the season. Maybe it wasn't. It might have included an animal sacrifice, but it didn't have to. Right? It was given to pay honor or deference to, to, to a king or to, as, as in this case, as, as Siscus by God. Right? But, but there was nothing inherent in the type of offering that said that Cain kind of blew it. And so what's interesting here is, is there's some vague language that's used. It says here, what's this, how's verse 3 start out again? It says, in the course, in the course of time. Right? You see, Moses isn't giving us all the details. He's not trying to clue us into to what's going to come in the law thousands of years after Cain and Abel are already dead. In fact, with no further explanation, the implication is that Cain knew what he ought to do, and he chose not to do it. You see, Cain's on the path to becoming a fugitive, and he gets angry. He gets very angry, right? That word in the, in the Hebrew could literally be translated as it burned him exceedingly. Have you ever seen somebody so angry that it burned them exceedingly? Like their, their face changed? They were that angry? In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've seen someone, I've made someone that angry before. You guys ever been that angry? Some of you are like, yes, when my kids don't listen to me, I am. It burns me exceedingly, right? I don't know, maybe I have this effect on people. <laughs> but uh, I, I was, it was, uh, it was, this was a long time ago. I just got my license. Anybody here recently got their license? I just got my license and I was driving my first car. It was a 1989 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. So I was cruising in style and uh, the car needed some oil. So I began to put oil in it. Now I know most of you know what to do, right? You put some oil, you check the dipstick. I didn't do that. I was like, this car will never need oil again, ever. So, so I just start dumping the oil in, man. And I'm out there just driving along. And there's a police officer on a motorcycle directly behind my car. And, and this huge, like big black cloud of gross oil comes out the back end of my tailpipe. It was so bad that the police officer said he couldn't see the car next to him. It burned him exceedingly. <laughs> yeah, man, he was like red in the face mad, right? <laughs> there was no guessing what was happening inside of his heart. Cain's kind of like that. Right now with Cain, there's no guessing what's happening in his heart, right? You, you could tell his face has fallen. It shows. It burns him. It burns him exceedingly, right? And so here's what's in this context now. The Lord comes and speaks to Cain. And, and here's what the Lord says to Cain. It picks up here in verse 6. 
In verse 6 it says, um, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must master it. What a cool word picture, right? Sin is crouching at the door. A lot of early commentators, they, they compare that word crouch. It's the Hebrew word ravats. I probably said that wrong. I don't actually speak Hebrew, but, uh, but that's what I read. The Hebrew word ravats, to, they compare it to an ancient Assyrian legend. And, and what this legend did is it, is it involved, there was this doorway, right? And this demon would be crouching and hiding in the doorway. And it wouldn't strike you until you walk through the doorway. Very kind of horror movie-ish, right? And, uh, and, and here, there's kind of a comparison to this, kind of similar to that. You see, sin doesn't get you until you walk through the doorway, until you sin. But you see, God sees Cain in this moment. Cain is literally feet away, feet away from becoming a fugitive, and God sees him. God's looking for him. I think this is our first, our first big, uh, big clue here. I think God is looking for the fugitives, fugitives like Cain, right? Sometimes fugitives like us. God's looking, God's looking for the fugitives. You might write that down. Sometimes in life, we feel like fugitives, I think, right? It reminds me of, of a documentary, this idea of fugitives. It reminds me of a documentary. I, I saw it years ago, and uh, it's on YouTube. You can actually find it. But there was a renowned Christian psychologist named Dr. Dobson. I said, was well, he's still around? Uh, Dr. Dobson was on there, and he was interviewing a serial killer named Ted Bundy. If you're not familiar, in the 1970s and 1980s, Ted Bundy assaulted, murdered, and even cannibalized upwards of 30 women. His execution was deserved, Right? So here it is, just days before his execution, and, and Dr. Dobson asked him, he said, so Bundy, how did, how did it all get started, right? How did, how, did, how did you get started in this? And he said, well, there was a grocery store, and I got, these, I got these VHS tapes, and they were pornographic, and they showed mock assaults of women. And he said, I started watching these, and pretty soon the lust came back, and it came back stronger, and the VHS tapes weren't enough. And so he describes how he picked his first victim. He said that after he assaulted her, he couldn't look at himself in a mirror for like months afterwards. But eventually the lust came back and the lust came back even stronger and the crimes got more and more heinous. The crimes got more and more. You see, see here's what I don't think Bundy understood. The sin that Bundy thought he could control, it, it ended up controlling him. I think sometimes the same is true for us. The sin that we think we can control today may well end up controlling us tomorrow. Bundy's sin ended up controlling him. And, and, and just like that, just like that, we have, we have Cain, right? Cain has now become a fugitive, right? Cain's anger has ended up controlling him, and it's led him down on this path of murder. He's murdered his brother. We, we see that right here. In fact, if we, we can read it in verse 8, in verse 8, it describes disastrous results of Cain's anger. It says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain kills him, controlled by anger. But, but what's striking to me is, is what Cain said back to God. Did you see that in your Bibles? What does Cain say back to God when God's over here, right? And he's like, sin is crouching at your door, right? It's desirous for you. What does God say back, or what does Cain say back to God? Does he go, no, God, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he doesn't say, he's silent. He says nothing. You see, when Cain kills his brother Abel, that is his response to God. Cain is attacking the most visible representation of God to him, and that's Abel, his brother. 
Cain's attacking the most visible representation of God to him. You know, sometimes that happens to us too, doesn't it? Sometimes, you ever had someone lash out at you because of your faith? Um, I, I've, I've known different people. I've known people that have been like even ostracized from their family because they became known as the family Christian, right? Sometimes when people lash out at us because of our faith, they're not just doing it because they're that angry at you. Sometimes people are, are lashing out against the most visible representation of God to them. And that just might be you in that situation. That's huge. A commentator named Bonhoeffer echoes this when, when he writes about Cain's motive in murdering Abel. He says, why does Cain murder? Out of hatred for God. Not because his relationship with his brother was so horrible. Not because his brother had something he wanted. He lashes out out of his hatred for God. You see, and the same thing happens to us. Cain's understanding of God was off and it led to horrible moral decisions. And boy, that happens to us, doesn't it? When our, when our understanding or when our theology, which is just a big word for our understanding of God and who he is, when that fails, it will inevitably lead to a failure in our moral decision-making. Do you make moral decisions? <laughs> I know I do. We make them every day, right? We make moral decisions in how we conduct our business. We make moral decisions in how we parent our kids, right? We make moral decisions in how we resolve conflict within our marriage, Right? Our understanding of God, it influences all of that. And now Cain, Cain's become a fugitive. He's, he's become a murderer. You know what a fugitive is, right? Cain's become a fugitive in a sin. Now, now, maybe you're sitting here today or maybe you're watching this at home and you're thinking, I can't get involved in church, dude. I cannot join that growth group. I've done some things. I've been some places, right? You know that, that song, I've got friends in lowly places? You might be like, Mark, I am the friend in lowly places, man. <laughs> Here's the deal. God knows. God knows you. God sees you. God's looking right at the fugitives. Cain tried to hide his sin, but, but, but God absolutely knew. God is God. God's a God who loves you. And God's desire is to invite fugitives in to have a relationship with him. Now, I want to give you the cliff notes of the whole chapter, if I can. I'm going to give you what I think are the two most important words that we're going to talk about in this entire morning. We're going to jump down here to verse 15. So spoiler alert, uh, God does know what Cain has done. And uh, God's going to come and, and talk to Cain and call him out, kind of like he did with Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden, right? After they sinned, God came and was dealt out consequences. That happens to Cain. And Cain is so scared that he's going to be killed because of what he's done, because, of, because he's a fugitive, because of his sin, he is going to be killed. And these are the two words that God says to him. If you flip over to verse 15, it says, then the Lord said to him, not so, not so. I think those are the two most important words in this entire chapter, not so. When our sins make us a fugitive, God wants to say to us, not so. God said not so when he sent Jesus to come and to die on the cross for our sins. And, you know, God's desire is not to leave us as fugitives. Would, would you do something for me? If you wrote the word fugitives down in your bulletin, would you cross that word out? <laughs> I tricked you. <laughs> cross out the word fugitives there. That's not how God desires to leave us. How does Jesus describe us in John 15, 15? In, in John 15, 15, it says, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from, the, from my father, I have made known to you. How does he describe us as what? 
as friends. Amen. That is awesome. You see, God's in the business of doing this. He takes fugitives and he wants to make them into friends. God loves you regardless of how you came in here this morning. Know that God loves you. And how do we begin this relationship with God? The Bible's clear, right? It's so easy. We, we teach this to the kids at VBS even. The Bible says that if we just admit to God that we're a sinner, we've done some things, right? We've been some places. We believe that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life in our place. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And we just confess that back to him, right? We just confess that back to him. That's how we start a relationship. You see, you might've come in here today as a fugitive. You can leave here as a friend of God. Isn't that awesome? Well, we, so, so we've seen that God's looking for fugitives. I, I mean friends. God's looking for friends. Uh, but God's also pursuing something. Let's read on and see what God is, what God's pursuing. But, but first, do you know the difference between looking and pursuing? You ever done this before? You know, when I'm looking, my feet can kind of stay planted, right? You ever had a child misbehaving and you had to give them the look? You know what I'm talking about? You just, you got that mom or that dad look and you just, you just, you just make eye contact better stop, right? <laughs> and sometimes that's all it takes and they straighten up right away. But sometimes when your child is going into real danger, what do you got to do? You have to get up and move, right? You pursue them. God is not just going to leave Cain alone in this moment. God's pursuing Cain. So here it is. Here's what the Lord says to Cain in, in verse 9. In verse 9, it picks, it picks up here. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. How does God describe Cain as a fugitive and a what? And a wanderer and a wanderer, right? Cain's a wanderer. Cain, in his heart, he became more and more distant from God. And so when, when, when God approaches Cain, what does Cain say? Right? He says, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. Amen. That's right. He says, I don't know. Cain knew exactly where he left his brother's corpse. And when lying doesn't work, Cain then goes on to challenge God directly. You ever known someone that did that? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? Now, at face value, this may seem like he's just kind of trying to, you know, evade blame. Like, am I my brother's keeper? But consider that the Lord, the Lord himself is, calls himself Israel's keeper. In fact, in Psalm 121.5, it says, the Lord is your keeper. And in the famous benediction of number 624, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Right? This is Cain's challenging God. He said, you're Abel's keeper, not me. So I don't know, God, where is Abel? Talk about the furthest possible distance from God there. Consequently, Cain's going to be cut off from agriculture, his job. He's going, to be, he's going to be distant from his family. You see, I think some of us can relate to Cain. I don't know. I think that some of us are, have become spiritual wanderers. I think some of us become spiritual wanderers. We're looking for something, right? We're not quite sure what it is. Right? Maybe you're sitting here today, you're watching this at home, and you've been to a few churches, you've checked out a few different religions, right? You're looking for something, but you're not quite ready to buy in. You're still, you're still wandering. And others of us, I think we felt the effects of wandering. You ever felt the effects of living in a planet full of sinners, full of wanderers? I think some of us have. Some of us have 
felt distance from our loved ones or even lost a loved one, right? We felt the effects of wandering, haven't we? Some of us have been in horrible work situations where we felt the effects of wandering. And some of us have been in marriages that have been so rocked that we feel like our whole world is turning upside down and we're just looking for a ledge to hold on to. We felt the effects of wandering too. But here's the, here's the, here's, here's the deal. God doesn't just leave us to wander. Did you know that God is pursuing you? God is pursuing the wanderers. You might write that down. God is pursuing the wanderers. God's pursuing the wanderers. God speaks into Cain's life. And I think how Cain speaks back to God will tell us everything about Cain's heart. Let's see what Cain says back to God here. We pick up in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Right? Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground. And from your face, I shall be hidden. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him those two most important words. What are they? Not so, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Right? Under the reality of accountability, Cain, he begins to buckle, man. He's shaking in his boots. He's scared. Not with remorse. He's not turning back to God, but he's doing what he's pitying. He's pitying himself, right? He's scared. Why is Cain Cain so scared? Consider it though. In the course of one chapter, we've gone from the worst sin that was ever committed was, was what? It was eating the forbidden fruit, right? To now murder. Now murder is on the table. Cain's terrified. The murderer is afraid of being murdered himself. Paul writes about this a little bit. In Hebrews 12, 24, he writes, Abel's blood rightly calls for vengeance. You see, Cain understands he's a wanderer. He understands he's a fugitive and he gets what his sins deserve. And he's scared. Commentator named Barnhouse writes, one of the consequences of sin is that it makes the sinner pity himself instead of causing him to turn to God. Right? Cain's, yeah, he he regrets getting caught. (laughs) Right? He pities himself, but he's not turning back to God. You see, back over here, right, when, when God first spoke to Cain, he said, sin's crouching at your door, watch out. Cain could have talked back to God, but he doesn't. He's silent in that moment. Cain does it his way. He's independent. He acts independent from God. When I was growing up, I, I had a pastor. Uh, his name was Daniel Henderson, and, and he went on to found a, a prayer ministry. And, uh, but I remember he, he, he said this to me. I thought it was really cool. So I wrote it in my Bible, and, and it's still there today. But he said, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Isn't that true? Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. You see, back over here, when God said to Cain, sin's crouching at your door, Cain could have responded to God. Cain could have been like, God, help me. But he was silent. He declared his independence. And this has led him to a lifetime of wandering, right? Of horrible decisions, right? Consumed in anger, he murdered. Then he lies to God. Then he challenges God. But here's the good news. God is a God of grace. 
You see, the commentator named, named Peels points out, Yahweh wants to be the keeper of the man who didn't want to be his brother's keeper. God's desire is grace. So, 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 so God's grace comes to Cain in the form of a sign, right? He puts a sign on him. And he says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be your keeper. Cain's not beyond grace. And no matter where, what, what you feel like or how you come in here this morning, I want you to know that you're not beyond grace either. Cain wandered. He wandered to a land called Nod. Now, this is kind of funny. If you're a Bible nerd like me, you'll find this funny. Uh, but the word Nod, uh, the word Nod is literally translated as wandering. So you could say that wherever Cain went, that was the land of wandering, right? Maybe you feel like you're a Nod this morning. Maybe you feel like you've been spiritually wandering. Here's the good news. God has the same two words for you that he had for Cain. What were those two most important words? Not so. Cain was convinced he would die in his wandering. And God looks at him and says, not so, not so. God's desire is not to leave us as wanderers forever. He wants to satisfy us with the gospel. So do me a favor, because I tricked you again. I knew I would. Uh, would you cross out the word wanderers from your, from your notes? Cross that word out. God's desire is not to leave us as wanderers. He wants us to become convinced of the gospel and to bring us in as worshipers. Would you write in the word worshipers? God is pursuing worshipers. God's pursuing worshipers. You see, Cain could have responded to God, right? He could have obeyed God. He could have made the jump from wanderer to worshiper and, and cried out to God to forgive him and had a relationship, but he doesn't. But here's the good news. You can, you can absolutely make the jump from wanderer to worshiper. Now, we've talked about what God's looking for, right? We've talked about what God's pursuing, what he's, what he's moving towards. But what does God respond to? There are a lot of things at the end of this chapter that God could respond to. Um, and his grace is absolutely mind-blowing in all of this. But uh, here, here it is. We'll pick up here at verse 17. And, and we're going to see this is what Cain does with all of this, right? With the punishment, with everything that's happened. Here's what, here's what Cain does. It says, Cain knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, I'm not Pastor Andy, and, uh, and, and, and I don't speak Hebrew. But I read this, and I was kind of like, hold up, hold up. I'm not a very smart man, but I feel like this is the opposite of what God told him to do, right? Absolutely it is. This is the absolute, absolute opposite. Right? You see, you see, he does wander for a time, but ultimately he settles and he builds a city. He is completely, he becomes more and more entrenched in sin. I mean, he tries to do the right thing, but ultimately, you see, Cain is still harboring some resentment towards God. Can you relate to that? Right? Maybe you're here today. You're like, Mark, I'm in church. What do you want? I'm trying to do the right thing. But deep down, there's some resentment, right? There's some anger. There's some disappointment towards God. Cain had that. But here's the good news. Did you know that, that God responds to the entrenched? As entrenched in sin as we might be, God responds to the entrenched. God responds to Cain. God protects Cain. Cain even has a family. Cain even has a family. Now, in the next section of Scripture, the narrative is going gonna, is gonna to shift its focus, right? We've been focused here on Cain for quite a while. Well, well, Cain begins a line of descendants, a line of children that starts off with Cain and his disobedience and is going to culminate in the person of Lamech. Lamech is a, is a relative of, is, is one, is, goes down this, this line of descendants from, from Cain. And, and in Lamech, 
dude, sin is going to grow to a whole new level. If you thought that Cain was pretty entrenched in sin, Lamech takes it to a whole new level. Here's what happens. Well, we'll pick up with Lamech's story here in verse 19. It says, in verse 19, it says, And Lamech took two wives. The name of, the, of one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. He was a builder. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe, a musician. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, like tools and weapons. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. They do cool stuff, right? But is there any mention in here of wanting to respond to God in worship? Any mention in here of wanting to reconcile with their family? Any mention of wanting to serve their neighbors? There's not. And it gets even worse. It gets even worse. Now, this next section, if you're a history buff, this is an example of the earliest recorded poetry. Okay? So it's pretty cool. Poetry school. And uh, it's called the Song of the Swords. And it's going to show us just how entrenched Lamech is in sin. It picks up here in verse 23. It says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Mm. I noticed two things right away. The first thing is it didn't rhyme. Isn't poetry supposed to rhyme? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about ancient poetry, I guess. But the second one is, did you catch how Lamech talked about his wife? I did. It was plural, right? It was wives. This is the first example in scripture of polygamy, a direct violation, right, of God's command back in Genesis when he said, one man, one woman for life. Remember Pastor Andy talking on that, right? Cleaving together polygamy. You know, some people have a, have a, have a hard time even, even reading that, right? It's helpful for me when, when I read the Bible, and maybe this will be helpful for you, is, is, I, is, is I remember the difference. You see, there are some things that the Bible will prescribe, and there are some things the Bible describes, okay? I'll, I'll tell you the difference. You see, the Bible will prescribe things sometimes. It'll give you a command to follow, like love your neighbor as yourself, right? It prescribes that. But the Bible also describes things sometimes, things like polygamy, things that we are to avoid. You see, this Bible right here is 100% accurate and true. You can put it up against the test of history, and it will come out true every single time. And it doesn't pull its punches. It describes some sin in here for us, that we, that sin for us to avoid, sin like polygamy. And that's what it's doing here, right? Lamech is polygamous. But, but you might miss how far he is entrenched in sin if you don't also pay attention to the age of his victim. What did it say? I have killed a young man. Now that word young man comes from the Hebrew word yelid. It literally can be translated as child. So we'll say a teenager at best. Polygamy, killing a child, right? Lamech is entrenched. Right, What started back over here in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve buying into the lie of, of, of Satan that said, you can have the fruit, you can have knowledge of sin and be just like God. Right, That grew, it grew in Cain. It grew to anger, it grew to murder. It grew to lying to God. And now in Lamech, it's grown again, right? Like with every successive generation, it gets worse. Now there's polygamy, 
right? Now there's, now there's killing a child. Sin grows, kind of like it did with Bundy. It grows. That, that, that can leave you feeling pretty depressed. The good news is this, that Jesus, Jesus wants to bring grace greater than any measure of sin. You see, Lamech wanted sin, but he wanted sin without limits, without borders, without boundaries. What, what, what did he say here at the end? If Cain's sin is sevenfold, then Lamech's will be, thank you, 77-fold. Have you heard that before, this idea of 77s? I thought it sounded familiar, so I looked it up. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how often ought I to forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus looked at him and said, I tell you not seven, but 77 times. Jesus desires grace without limits, without borders, without boundaries, right? The Bible says while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Whereas Lamech wants all of this sin, Jesus wants to bring grace. Isn't that a cool thing? As entrenched as you are, you are not beyond God's grace. I mean, I, I bet Eve probably felt like she was beyond God's grace. Can you imagine being Eve? She didn't know the whole story. So what, what has she experienced since leaving the garden? Her Abel is murdered. Her firstborn is now exiled. And all of this stands in contrast to God's promise that somehow, someway, her seed is going to strike the head of the serpent, the devil. How's that going to happen? Not on her own strength, that's for sure. Here's the conclusion in, in, in verse 25. In, in verse 25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Right? This, uh, uh, a, a, a start change here, the beginning of corporate worship. Mm. Imagine being Eve in that situation. You see, God wasn't going to leave Eve entrenched. This is huge. This is huge. God's desire is, is to empower us as believers. It, would you do something for me if, if you haven't done this yet? Would you cross out that word uh, entrenched? Cross it out. That's not how God wants to leave us. He wants to empower us, right? He wants to empower us. You see, Eve has gone on quite the spiritual journey. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but for Eve, this is huge, man. Eve has gone from verse one, where she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, right? I did this. Thank you, God. You helped me. I did this. You ever feel like that sometimes, right? This is me. This is what I've done. This is my job. This is my career, right? This is my, this is my degree. This is my success. That's really easy. And now this huge difference when she says, I haven't done this. God has appointed for me an offspring. She gets it. Sin has messed it all up. And she needs Jesus. And so do we. She needs Jesus. And so do we. Mm. I, I think that God kind of shows us here three, three unique ways that he empowers us. You see, God, God empowers us to worship he empowers us to reconcile, and he empowers us to serve. God empowers us to worship. In the middle of all of this stuff that's happening, there's murder, right? There's polygamy. How do the people respond? The last verse of this, and the people began to call on the name of the Lord. They respond in worship. 
You see, when, when we trust God on the inside, that inevitably comes out as worship on the outside. They respond in worship. You might be sitting here and you might be like, how do I respond to this world, right? There's COVID, right? There may be cancer, right? There may be joblessness. There might be the looming threat of recession. Man, it's tough. The great news is that God's got this. You see, the natural response out of trusting God is worship. I challenge us to respond and worship. God has empowered us to worship him. He's empowered us to reconcile. You know what it means to reconcile, right? It means to make things right, right? To repair broken relationships. God's desire is, is, is this. God makes a way through Seth and God desires us to make things right with those around us, with our family. Sometimes that's hard. God empowers us for that. And God empowers us to serve. In Galatians 5.13, it says, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. Lamech wasn't very good at that. <laughs> with all those advancements, with all, that, with all that technological advancement, it resulted in yet another murder. Mm. God empowers us. God empowers us to serve. And that could look, you know, that looks different. But, 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 but you know, one of the things that, that I think is really, really cool is how we're able to take this gospel and how we're able to take it out to people outside of these walls. And sometimes that just happens to the simplest acts of love, man. It's cool. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that we've been praying about, one of our big goals here as, as a leadership team that has even, you know, precipitated some of these like, like two service changes has been our desire is to see 100 newly spiritually engaged families over the next three years. Because we've asked ourselves a question as a leadership team. We've said, how would Cornerstone look different if we saw 100 families become spiritually engaged, right? How would our community look different if we saw 100 brand new families that came over the course of the next three years and that were released to Marshfield, to Stratford, right? To Abbotsford, to Loyal, and to beyond. To do what? To love and to serve. I, I think it could change everything. And I think you're the, corner, you're, you're, you're the cornerstone. You're the centerpiece of that dream. But you might be sitting here today going, whoa, 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 Mark, hold up, slow down a little bit. I'm not ready to be the centerpiece of anything. The truth is, I, I kind of feel like Cain. I, I feel like I'm a fugitive still. I, I've been spiritually wandering. I'm entrenched in sin. Like, you don't know what happens behind the doors of my house. And I may not, but God does. And just like with Cain, Cain thought he would die as a fugitive. He thought he would die as a wanderer. And God said to him, not so. Cain was convinced God would not respond to him when he was angry. And God did. He was convinced God wouldn't respond to him when he murdered his brother, and God did. He was convinced that God would not respond when he was scared for his life, and God did. God will respond to you as well. If you feel the Lord tugging on your heart this morning, if you're like, I've been wandering for a long time, know that today, this morning, you can come home. The Lord is ready to respond if you would but cry out to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, God, we, we, we thank you for this morning, Lord. And, and God, we thank you for how you love us.
Father, thank you that you are not a distant, faraway God, but you look for us, you pursue us. And Father, you respond when we cry out to you. Father, I pray that more and more people throughout our community would come face to face with the gospel and that they might come home to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go, go in grace, go in peace, and go empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring God's love everywhere you go. God bless, and Lord willing, we'll see you back here next Sunday.